0: My name is Dr. Dean Smith, and I am the host of Chiropractic Science. I'm a senior clinical faculty member in the Department of Kinesiology and Health at Miami University, and I'm also a practicing chiropractor in Eaton, Ohio. My research interests relate to understanding how chiropractic affects motor control and human performance. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Craig Moore. But before we get to the interview, I wanted to thank all of you who have subscribed to Chiropractic Science. And I'm especially appreciative to all of you who have contributed five-star reviews on iTunes. iTunes reviews really help others find out about chiropractic science. So if you like the show, please take a second and write a review. It will support chiropractors everywhere. I'd like to share a review on iTunes from someone with the nickname Scarlett Rose Monroe from Australia, who says, keep up the great work. Thank you, Dean, for shining a spotlight on these prominent researchers and their important work. It's interesting to hear their discussions on research beyond what is written and published. I particularly like the way that you discuss making rigorous peer-reviewed research clinically meaningful for those of us on the front line delivering evidence-based healthcare to patients. Well, thank you, Scarlett Rose Monroe, for your review. I look forward to sharing your flattering iTunes review in a future podcast. Please consider making a contribution to chiropractic science to keep these podcasts going. You can do so on our website, either by making a donation or by purchasing the evidence-based patient education slides presentation. We are also on social media, including Facebook and Instagram, so please connect with us there. Something I wanted to mention before we get started is that I just attended the Association of Chiropractic Colleges Research Agenda Conference from March 8th through 10th in Dallas, Texas. I'd like to take a few moments and ask that everyone contribute in some way to chiropractic research. There are many ways to contribute. You could make a donation to a chiropractic organization and let them know you'd like it to go to fund chiropractic research. If you don't know of any, I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. You could contribute to our scientific literature by writing case studies, letters to the editor, or through any other research design. You could contribute by spreading the research message to your patients, your friends, your community, and perhaps most importantly, to policymakers, Research is changing our culture and our future. Let us all contribute to our future, contribute to our research. All right, well, let's get on to the interview with Dr. Craig Moore. Dr. Craig Moore is the director of a multidisciplinary allied health clinic in Crow's Nest, Sydney. His clinic focus is toward the diagnosis and management of musculoskeletal disorders in headache disorders in particular, migraine, tension-type headache, and cervicogenic headache. Dr. Moore has completed a Master's of Clinical Trials Research and is currently enrolled at the University of Technology, Sydney, doing a PhD in public health focused on the chiropractic management of headache disorders. As a founding member of the Australian Chiropractic Research Network, ACORN, he has a strong interest in supporting the development of chiropractic research through the utilization of this practice-based network project. He has numerous publications in the scientific literature in such journals as Spine, BMC Neurology, JMPT, BMC Musculoskeletal Disorders, and Headache, to name a few. Dr. Moore is also a Carl Fellow. Today, Dr. Moore and I will concentrate on the role of chiropractors in the management of headaches. Some areas of discussion we'll try to touch upon include the societal impact and costs associated with headaches, prevalence of headaches in the community, prevalence of headache in chiropractic clinical settings, why do people turn to chiropractors, the current level of evidence for chiropractic treatment of different headache types, what do the headache guidelines recommend for each headache, and what should a chiropractor consider when examining a headache patient. So we've got a busy agenda Dr. Moore, it's a pleasure to have you on the Chiropractic Science Podcast.
1: Ah, It's a pleasure to be here, Dean. Uh, Thank you very much for asking me. And um, may I take a quick moment to congratulate you on being awarded uh, recently, I believe, the ACA Researcher of the Year. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. And thank you very much. Uh, It's been an exciting couple of weeks.
1: (laughs) Perhaps I should be interviewing you.
0: Oh, no, 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 not at all. We're going to stick to the interview of you, if you don't mind, because, uh, well, I need to constantly learn here, and uh, and you have some exciting research that we need to talk about, and I know uh, everybody listening is excited to learn about what you've been up to. So if we could get started, because I know we have a busy agenda, can you tell us how you became interested in becoming a chiropractor?
1: Ah, well, uh, towards uh, the end of high school, uh, I, I was aware of, I had a strong interest in health and fitness, uh, and i had been considering a range of career options that might fit into that idea, uh, anything from being a, a high school sports teacher to physical therapy and so on. However, when I was maybe 16, 17 years of age, I was introduced to a, a local chiropractor. And during our, our very first meeting, I, I remember this so well, he put me on straight on to his Zenith electric tilting chiropractic contraption and proceeded to adjust me from, from top to bottom. And I, I recall all I could hear was these crazy sounds of this contraption uh, hissing and popping and dropping up and down while he was adjusting my spine and uh, and as the table was tilting me back up onto my feet i remember feeling a, a little stunned but a little bit excited as, as he proceeded to to very passionately begin uh, educating me about life and uh, and all things chiropractic so so somehow this was a somewhat strange ex- initial experience but it started my more serious uh, interest in the idea of of becoming a chiropractor
0: very nice Very nice. So yeah, you, you made it through. So even (laughs) with that experience, uh, you decided to press onwards with chiropractic.
1: I think I was very excited by his passion.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that's what gets a a lot of us interested in uh, pursuing uh, chiropractic education as well. Certainly did for me too. I had pretty similar experience. So now Dr. Moore, you've been in practice for, for a while. Um, and uh, so I'm interested in learning a little bit about your practice. And then uh, I'd also like to learn how you got interested in uh, research.
1: Yeah, so I've been a, a chiropractor for many years. Uh, and I had become, over those years, increasingly engaged, I guess, in a number of issues that were happening for the profession here in Australia and uh, issues around the identity of the profession, the positioning of the profession within healthcare. And and there was a lot of issues coming up, issues related to the use of x-rays in chiropractic practice and so on. So, uh, however, I I soon began to feel a little frustrated uh, that when I wanted to explore and understand uh, the evidence-based literature on many of these topics that I was feeling increasingly passionate about, uh, I realized that I was a little bit out of my depth and I did not really understand how to go about doing that with any confidence. So... um, Some years ago, that led me to doing a a Master's of Clinical Trials Research uh, at a local university uh, for two years. And this certainly gave me that confidence to understand research a little bit better and engage with with exploring research a little bit better. And then about a year later, uh, I met uh, Professor John Adams, who had been asked to uh, establish ACORN, the Australian Chiropractic Research Network, and this is a, a practice-based research network that we have here in Australia of about 2,000 chiropractors. And, uh, and I, was, I was asked by the Chiropractors Association to assist John in, in establishing ACORN. And of course, our conversations then began turning towards the idea of me doing a PhD with him <clears throat> as my supervisor. And so it really began from there that I, I started a PhD.
0: Excellent. So what was it in particular that got you interested in, in exploring headache?
1: Yeah, you know, it was really a little bit by accident. Um, it wasn't something that had been driving me, but, um, but my final dissertation paper with my, um, masters of clinical trials research, um, we were as students required to pick a topic and, uh, and I, was, I guess I was thinking about the kind of cases that chiropractors see a lot of, of course, low like back pain, neck pain, but headache kind of struck me as, as, as perhaps a condition or an area that I was a little bit more interested in. So that was the focus uh, during the, the, the finishing stages of my Master's of Research, and so it really became the conversation that I took forward uh, with Professor John Adams for my Ph.D.,
0: Gotcha. Well, I'm really excited that you're doing this kind of research because we desperately need it. We need as much as we can get. And it is one of the common reasons why people come to see chiropractors, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I believe it's the third most common reason people come to see chiropractors uh, as new patients uh, after low back pain and neck pain.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, well, let's dive into some of your uh, research papers and then we'll just open it up for Discussion about various things headache. So one of your your recent papers uh, a critical review of manual therapy use for headache disorders prevalence profiles motivations communication and self-reported effectiveness comes out of BMC neurology in 2017. I wonder if you could uh, walk us through uh, this paper a little bit uh, how you came up with that and, and what you learned from the study.
1: So my, my supervisor's background is public health, health services. Uh, and uh, I guess what we wanted to do at the beginning was do the kind of literature review that, that kind of mapped very broadly uh, the role and, and the focus on manual therapy by headache patients uh, within the community. So we decided that we would generally just take a broad look at, at how Prevalent the use of manual therapy providers was for headache globally uh, and so this includes chiropractors, osteopaths, massage therapists and physical therapists and then we looked at some other topics that were important to that kind of health services public health interest that we had. So we looked at, at what the predictors were of this use uh, and we looked at self-reported effectiveness and we also looked at, at, at the communication that these patients have with healthcare providers who use manual therapy for the management of their headaches. So that was the sort of broad approach that we took. And there were a number of findings we found across those headings.
0: Terrific. Uh, yeah. If you could tell us what, what those findings were, that'd be great.
1: Uh, well, we certainly found that the use of manual therapy uh, providers uh, globally is, is very significant. In fact, um, we came to the con- conclusion that it was manual therapy was probably the second most sought after uh, healthcare modality for the management of headaches uh, following uh, conventional care. So that was very significant. Um, we certainly found that the most common reason that people were seeking manual therapy was uh, they were seeking for reasons of pain relief was the the most common reason, and this was followed by reasons of related to concerns about uh, the side effects uh, of, of medical drugs for the treatment of headaches. So uh, we, we, we began to understand that these were the sort of concerns that these patients had about approaching uh, this type of care for the management of their headaches. Uh, and we certainly found that there was a positive of research across a lot of what we were interested in, and, and certainly that more research was, was needed in this area to understand this utilization further.
0: Gotcha. So if I hear you correctly, then uh, these people uh, that are coming in with headaches to see a chiropractor, for example, or, or another practitioner who might do some manual care with them, they're coming in not necessarily to replace medication, but uh, perhaps they perceive that they could get additional benefit from the manual therapy. Does that sound right?
1: Indeed. Indeed, we did find that a high percentage of these patients About 60%, in fact, were continuing with medical care. So these patients were really largely having a fairly pluralistic approach to their headache management. They did have concerns about the side effects of medical care, but about 60% of them were still concurrently using some form of medical care while they were using manual therapies for the management of their headaches. Hmm. And around half of these patients, interestingly, we're not disclosing their use of this type of treatment to their medical doctor, and that raises you know other questions about patient communication uh, about and trust uh, in terms of the use of this type of care that around half of patients were not disclosing this type of care to their medical doctor.
0: yeah that is really interesting what do you think uh, why do you think that is?
1: Well, there could be a few reasons. Um, I think that uh, perhaps in some cases it may relate to the fact that patients may not believe the doctor would understand this type of approach to care, or perhaps the doctor may be less interested in this type of care for the management of headaches, but this would be a topic that would really require some more research to explore further.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I, you know, in being in practice myself, uh, at least part-time these days, i um, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what uh, what my patients would say as well, um, that for the exact same reasons, maybe the doctor wouldn't understand or, or what have you. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Now, Dr. Moore, how prevalent are headaches in the community?
1: Uh, well, the prevalence is is very high, of course, for, for migraine and tension headache. Uh, in fact, uh, nearly half of all adults worldwide would probably meet the criteria for the diagnosis of a primary headache of some type, which is quite extraordinary, I think, as a profession, uh, when we we start to consider the fact that we have um, a lot of opportunity in the coming years to do more research and be more recognised providers in this space, to think about that thought that that about half of the adults in the world currently would meet the criteria for the diagnosis of a primary headache of some type. And, and in general, around 38% of adults are suffering uh, episodic tension headaches and around 10% of adults are suffering migraines. Uh, while for a cervicogenic headache, we, we don't have as much information, but it would appear it's between 3 and 5% of adults are suffering from cervicogenic headaches. So the prevalence is is very high. Migraine uh, is the seventh most disabling uh, condition globally, and I believe it's uh, the third most disabling condition for adults uh, under the age of fifty. So these conditions uh, have a very big impact on on the health of people. Attention, headache, and migraine are listed uh, as the second and third most common health conditions by the by the global burden of disease.
0: Yeah, that's that's a huge burden. Um, especially, yeah, when you put it up against some of the other issues that burden people, this is amazing how many people it does affect. So I guess it's no wonder why people turn to chiropractors, uh, and other practitioners to, to try to get some relief from their headaches.
1: Well, indeed, these are huge problems in society. And as as we move forward with research, it will be very exciting to see what role we can play um, as as research continues to unfold. But the healthcare costs and the loss of productivity costs that's associated with with primary headaches like migraine and tension headache is, is very significant. In America, I was reading this week that there's an annual cost of $36 billion in the U.S., is the cost of of migraines uh, to healthcare and productivity and uh and indeed uh, American employers alone are losing more than 13 billion dollars each year as a result of lost workdays due to migraine alone so these are extraordinary healthcare bills and these are certainly major diseases affecting society
0: yeah absolutely so it's, it's, uh, an amazing prevalence in communities. Um, you did a paper again recently, uh, that looked at the prevalence of headache specifically in chiropractic clinical settings. This was published in BMC Complementary and alternative medicine, 2017 in December. I wonder if you could tell us about that, that paper, um, and, and what you found specifically, uh, within these chiropractic clinical settings.
1: Yeah, so we've, we've published a couple of papers in this space. Uh, last year, with the paper in the, the Journal of Headache and Face Pain, uh, we looked at the U.S. National Health Interview Survey. This is a, a paper published in SPINE. And what we found there was uh, that manual therapies or manual manipulative therapies in particular are the most frequently used non-drug therapies among all headache and migraine sufferers. Uh, after medical care. So, so this is the most prevalent form of health care in, in across the US, looking at US national uh, health interview survey statistics. Um, but another study by Sanderson looking at general populations across five countries, it also found that chiropractors were the second most utilized health care providers. Uh or migraine in Australia and the third most utilised in the U.S. And so we're we're seeing within chiropractic patient populations that headache patients, new headache patients, uh, are presenting uh, somewhere between five and fifteen percent of new headache patients are presenting. Uh, new patients are presenting for reasons of headache. Um, it depends. It probably varies a little bit depending on the country. And I suspect, beyond new patients, there would be a higher percentage of routine patients who have become introduced or or aware after after becoming a new patient that that, that chiropractic is, is has been very helpful in their management of headaches uh, after becoming a new patient.
0: Absolutely, I, I mean, as chiropractors, we hear that all the time, right? Somebody comes in for low back pain or something, and and if we work on the neck, they notice, hey, you know, uh, headaches seem to be better. Well, that's a nice side side benefit.
1: <laughs> of interest, too, we we found that um, chiropractors are probably getting the toughest of headache cases. Uh, when we compared uh, those with headache who do not use manual therapy providers, uh, comparing those with headache who do use manual therapy providers, we, we found that, there was a greater comorbidities uh, and the patients had a, a, a higher level of, of headache chronicity and disability. So it could be that we're getting the toughest of cases too. people who have perhaps thought of chiropractic later, uh, you know, as maybe even as a last resort. So it, it's, it's interesting to think about that, that, uh, that we may be getting a higher percentage of tougher cases than, than perhaps the local medical doctor does.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then it—it it, I guess it makes me think at that point uh, of perhaps really how effective chiropractic could be and is.
1: Indeed. And uh, as the research has been unfolding, we're, we're beginning to understand that more and more for different headache types.
0: That's great. So if you could um, give us an idea of these patients that come in to see chiropractors, um, do do we have data that suggests that um, the majority of these headache sufferers have have a certain type of headache that see a chiropractor? Like are most of them uh, clustered around the um, the migraine type headache, or the tension type headache, or do we get an even mix like uh, the general population would have?
1: We just don't know that yet. Uh, it's a great question, and I think it's a very very important question. But most of the, the research that's been done uh, across Europe and North America and Australia, we know that the percentage of new patients who present with headache uh, as their primary motivation, but we, we actually don't have good data on the type of headache that these patients have presented with at this point in time. And and in fact, this is the, this is the focus of my final PhD paper. Um, we're, we're just getting this through ethics at the moment, but we're aiming to uh, distribute a questionnaire nationally here in Australia to consecutive new pa- uh, consecutive patients presenting for treatment for headaches, and uh, this questionnaire indeed will be designed to establish their headache type, and it will be designed to establish their level of headache uh, disability uh, using a, a six-question uh, questionnaire called the HIT-6, and uh, and so for the first time we're going to have some some very rich data on understanding the proportion of headache types coming to chiropractors. We do know from from general population studies uh, in the the US, for example, around 15% of the general headache population um, with migraine uh, are attending chiropractors. And here in Australia, around 27% of the general migraine population in the wider community uh, have been attending chiropractors, but we we really just don't have a breakdown within chiropractic clinical populations of the headache types.
0: Hmm. Well, I look forward to that research coming out. Um, uh, in, in my experience, I I tend to see more migraine uh, headache sufferers, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll wait for that research. I'll be eagerly <laughs> looking forward to reading it. Um, so we've talked about. The different kinds of headaches uh, so far, uh, but I'd like to dive into these different types of headaches a little bit more. And for the practicing chiropractor, uh, provide them some, some practical information to consider when doing their history and examination, if we could. So, I guess we'll start off with uh, perhaps maybe the most basic question, and that is what are the types of headaches that chiropractors typically see?
1: Yeah, so from what we know, tension headache, migraine, and cervicogenic headache would be the types of headaches that we see the most. and Perhaps cluster headache might come in a distant uh, fourth. Um, and so when we're taking a, a history with patients, um, you, I would encourage chiropractors to, to really just follow a normal you know, eight-point history as they would for any new presenting condition. Um, you know, to establish um, the basic circumstances of the of the headache uh, presentation, and then they would delve into questions that that just clarify more clearly the type of headache that the patient has from there uh, and And I would direct chiropractors towards familiarizing themselves with the international classification of headache disorders criteria or ICHD. Um, criteria if they want to become more familiar with uh, with understanding this. But essentially, with migraine, you would be looking for a headache type that's on one side of the head. Uh, it's a more often a pulsing quality. It's more severe. And it's, it's aggravated by any kind of routine physical activity. So these types of patients will tend to report that they need to lie down in a dark room uh, when they have a headache. And these patients will tend to have either nausea or, or vomiting, or they may, have, they may express that they can't be around bright lights or, or loud noises. So these are all the, the typical signs of migraine. And if it's a patient uh, that has a migraine with aura, you would also be exploring whether they're having any other aura-type symptoms, whether they're visual, the most common being visual, where they'll talk about uh, lights or, or sparkling in their visual field. They may less often talk about a sensory aura, which can be like a tingly numbness in a part of their body or a side of their body. And and even less often, again, there's there's a a type of aura called a speech aura where they'll talk about how they have trouble with language or pronouncing words. So this would be all signs of, of not just migraine, but migraine with aura. If we move on to tension headache, this is a less severe headache. It's more of a steady... Pressing headache, not a pulsing headache. Um, These people certainly can still function with their headache. They're not, you know, they can go about doing routine physical activity. There's no nausea or vomiting involved with a tension headache, and they don't tend to have problems with bright lights or anything like that. It's it's and it's it's very much on both sides of the head with tension headache, and of course, cervicogenic headache, where we've perhaps done most of our research to date. This is a headache that's directly related to the onset of neck pain and a headache that tends to improve as the neck pain improves. So these people will uh, talk about how the headache can be made worse by a certain head position, so it can be provoked uh, sometimes just by having, having their head in certain positions. And the headache tends to be on one side, usually on the same side of the head as the actual neck pain itself. So those, this would be the kind of History questions that the chiropractor would take to explore the the headache type, and then perhaps beyond that, you would begin to explore just a few questions about whether there's any signs of a of a red flag occurring with with headaches. So we need to be very aware with headaches that there can sometimes be certainly far less often, but there can sometimes be a more serious underlying condition that's causing headaches. So. You, you may want to explore just a little bit further about whether these headaches are becoming very progressive, they're getting worse and worse, whether there's any abnormal neurological symptoms uh, are going on, uh, and, and whether the headache is, is, is particularly resistant to any kind of treatment. Those kind of things would certainly um, suggest there may be a red flag issue that might require some, some uh, medical investigation.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, that's that was a fantastic uh, description, so thank you for that. Are there any physical exam findings that might uh, help us distinguish between these types of headaches?
1: Uh, yes, well, there is unfolding research in this field. There's certainly no published guidelines to support the decision on what the most important physical, uh, well, musculoskeletal um, examination Approaches at this point in time. Uh, of course, it would be wise for the chiropractor to cons- consider a basic neurological examination as part of their basic workup. But we're still exploring what the musculoskeletal dysfunction is associated with different headaches. Um, and there's been there is a paper that's been published by a Delphi panel on on this particular topic. That's uh, uh, probably our best guide to date. Uh, and and certainly there is some signs that. Some research that shows that um, manual joint, um, there, there is reduced upper cervical movement more often perhaps in migraine from, from early research so far. Uh, there's a, a test called the craniocervical flexion test, which will be a little hard to describe on a podcast, but it's essentially testing the deep neck flexors, and, and these are known to be weaker, for example, in people with migraines. Huh. And then there's another test, that uh, that practitioners could look into called the cervical flexion rotation test where there's um, where the patient's head is tilted and turned and typically we're seeing that there's more limited movement on one side more often in those patients with cervicogenic headaches so there's a few there is a few tests that are starting to be explored that that musculoskeletal dysfunction tests related to the cervical spine that are being looked into more and more from research at this point in time, but there is no uh, strong evidence to say that certain findings are only found for one headache alone. Uh, one other one other examination uh, method I would mention would be to, to test trigger points if you think the patient has tension headaches. So there is some early evidence also that shows that um, trigger points are more active around the, the head, the pericranial muscles and neck and shoulder muscles in patients uh, that have tension headache. And so this could be an important part of the examination for, for those with tension headache as well.
0: Ah, uh, terrific, terrific. Can you recommend uh, from your experience uh, and or the research that you've looked into any particular headache PROMs or PREMs uh, that, uh, that you think are good?
1: I think the most basic tool for a, a headache patient assessment uh, that would be helpful uh, would be really just to use a basic headache diary uh, for the patient to take home with them a headache diary and and really be recording the frequency and severity and duration of their headaches. That's really probably the most basic tool and and most important tool uh, for for patients to be recording some information about their own headaches. Uh, Beyond that, there's a number of headache-related disability tools. Uh, the better known ones are the Migraine Disability uh, Assessment Test or, or better known as MIDAS, M-I-D-A-S. Uh, this is a great questionnaire. There's also the Headache Impact Test that I mentioned that we're using in my final PhD paper, uh, the HIT6, uh, having six questions related to it. So these are great tools just for establishing uh, headache disability or the level of headache impact and uh, this is information the patient can fill in and record uh, both at the start of a course of care and, and maybe later uh, at the end of a course of care to see what changes have been occurring.
0: Okay, great. Um, and I know you mentioned the uh, diagnostic criteria from uh, IHS, the International Headache Society. Um, are there any, uh, uh, like, for lack of a better term, cheat sheets or something where you know of uh, where that just compares one headache to the next. Uh, that would be easy for a chiropractor to look up what the criteria are.
1: Yeah, not not so much. It's headache diagnosis is primarily made just from the patient history. That's it. There's no uh, no uh, important uh, or critical physical tests or a diagnostic tests uh, that are used outside of taking a very thorough headache history and establishing. The headache features clearly enough that the chiropractor uh, has a strong sense of whether this is, for example, migraine or tension headache or cervicogenic headache.
0: Got it. Okay, well, let's talk about the current level of evidence for chiropractic care uh, related to these different headache types. Uh, So if you could um, uh, give us a breakdown of the evidence for each type of headache disorder, that would be terrific.
1: Okay, so probably our profession has done the most amount of research on cervicogenic headache, um, and, uh, and there is good quality research and indeed good quality evidence to suggest that, that manual therapies is, is effective, of course, for cervicogenic headache, both in terms of pain intensity and frequency. And indeed, some of the studies have compared uh, manual therapy approaches to medical uh, medical care and found that um, it was more effective. So we're talking about, indeed, spinal manipulation, mobilisation, uh, cervical spine massage techniques, and, and this is probably ideally best combined with uh, some cervical spine uh, exercises. But there's good evidence uh, for these types of approaches for managing cervicogenic headache. Um, if we move on to tension headache, where... Perhaps physical therapy has done a, a little bit more research than chiropractors, but once again, it's good news. Uh, there's good quality research that's showing that um, spinal manipulation, mobilisation, soft tissue techniques become a little bit more interesting. For example, trigger point therapy, a little bit more important, I should say, uh, in the management of tension headache. Um, and, uh, and there's good evidence that, that these, these types of therapies uh, are very effective uh, in the management of tension headache, where we have less research and where the quality of the research to date is still comparatively weaker and where the results are a little bit less certain is with migraine. Uh, there has been some research looking at, at, at spinal manipulation, uh, massage therapy and so on with, with migraine, but at this point in time, it would probably be appropriate to say it's still uh, inconclusive uh, the quality of the research is not as strong, and uh, and we certainly need probably the most amount of research in, in, on the topic of migraine uh, at this point in time. I, I probably would like to mention that perhaps where trials have been a little bit inconclusive to date for migraine, uh, these trials haven't, uh, haven't done a lot of subgrouping of the migraine patients, and what I mean by that is is it might be that there is a certain type of migraine patient that is going to be a high responder uh, versus a certain type of migraine patient that is more likely to be a low responder. And and this would be perhaps important to the inclusion criteria of future uh, migraine trials. Um, For example, it might be less likely that a migrainer who only gets triggered by um, red wine or cheese or or with the menstrual cycle, it might be that that migrainer is going to be less responsive. But if we were to focus on migraine sufferers that have neck pain, uh, then it might be that we, we start to see that with that kind of subgrouping that we're understanding the category of migraine patients that we're more likely to help.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just where a lot of our research is going, right? Whether it's low back pain, mid-back pain, you know, extremity issues, uh, a lot of it seems to be in, in the subgrouping. And it makes total sense to me. Uh, I mean, if we have a lot of variability within a, a population that we're sampling from, uh, it, just, it just makes a lot of sense that we could reduce some of that variability uh, if we knew what the, what the groups were.
1: That's right. I think this is happening, as you mentioned, for, for low back pain and neck pain, where, you know, the devil is in the detail, as they say. And uh, and I think as, as research into headache goes forward, uh, we're going to start to understand a little bit more about the, the profile of patients, male, female, age groups, neck pain, no neck pain, postural findings, and so forth, uh, that might be uh, valuable. And it ultimately will become like a decision tree where, where we can work through Um, in a triage sense, uh, which headache patient should be going to which provider.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I see that coming as well. Uh, Is there any evidence uh, suggesting uh, certain dosage, if you will, of of chiropractic adjustments uh, related to headache? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. And and indeed, uh, there's been uh, in recent years some some work on that very question. Uh, A fellow named Castian has uh, looked at um, the dose threshold for uh, for chronic uh, tension headache, and uh, as I recall, it was around eight treatments was the average uh, number of treatments for chronic tension headache, where where patients were who were responding were re- uh, reaching uh, a maximum response, and I, I believe uh, Mitch Haas uh, in the U.S. he has done some work on dose response for a cervicogenic headache, and um, the paper that I'm recalling, uh, I think this was a pilot study. He may have done more work since. Uh, it was a range between uh, around 8 to 16 treatments for cervicogenic headache where patients were were reaching their sort of maximum dose response, if you like.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's uh, similar to what I recall out of, uh, out of his paper uh, as well. Um, how about... Any evidence uh, suggesting that a particular type of adjustment or manual therapy is related to better outcome?
1: Uh, perhaps for cervicogenic headache, the evidence is the strongest for for manual manipulation. I think with uh, although you know there's good evidence for massage and mobilization as well, and, and indeed the same is true for, for a tension headache, uh, with the addition that some work on trigger points adds. Um, better results to, to, to working on patients with tension headache. Um, we're still in no man's land with, with migraine. I think uh, the jury is still out as to, to what extent manual therapy is, is helping uh, migraine patients. And it brings us back to that subgrouping question, uh, I believe. But um, uh, it's certainly, I think most chiropractors perhaps listening to this podcast will, will have a clear understanding that they've helped many patients with migraine. And, and in my own case, I have also a pretty clear recollection of migraine cases that I just had no effect on at all. And so, um, you know, we're still needing to do a lot more work in that area to, to understand the difference.
0: Sure. Well, another question may, and this may relate to the subgrouping issue that you brought up, but I I found personally that working with, uh, some migraine sufferers and, uh, tension type headaches that there seems to be a spinal component to those headaches maybe not clear-cut like the cervicogenic type but is there any evidence suggesting uh spinal um, issues or dysfunction are related to these other headache types
1: yeah so that's right so um There is very strong evidence that cervicogenic headaches are a secondary headache coming from the cervical spine, and uh, the likes of uh, Nick Bogduck have have done uh, very important papers on that topic and heavily cited papers on that topic. Um, When we talk about tension headache and migraine, these are primary headaches. These are classified as primary headaches. they're not, at this point in time, classified as secondary to uh, to a headache that's that's been a, that's coming from a, another source. But this is a difficult, and then, and there's a lot of debate going on about this um, in neurology uh, research circles at this point in time because the, the challenge is that we know that a high percentage of of migraine is for example, suffer neck pain, and we know that um, neck pain often precedes the development of the migraine headache itself. So there's an increase in neck pain leading up to the patient starting to experience the the beginning of their migraine. And we also have a lot of research that shows neck dysfunction findings, as I was mentioning earlier, are are very common in, in migraine and tension headache cases. So they're classified as primary headaches, not secondary to the neck, but there are these associations so we need to really keep doing a lot of research in this area to understand these links.
0: Mm, very good. Very good. Well, so we've talked about the different kinds of headaches that chiropractors typically see. What about uh, guidelines? Uh, what, what do current guidelines recommend? And is manual therapy a component of any of these guidelines? Uh,
1: well, only slightly. I mean, there is no widely cited headache guideline that's really included cervicogenic headache that I'm aware of, which which is a shame because that's probably the headache where we have our, our strongest evidence. Um, but most of the guidelines really focus either around tension headache or, or migraine headache uh, prevention. Uh, with tension headache, it's interesting. The guidelines uh, encourage non-drug management as the first-line care for tension headaches. Hmm. Uh, this is partly because of um, the, the drugs that, that do seem to be effective, effective um, have a lot of side effects related to them. And so guidelines are encouraging a non-drug approach, even though there is there is a need for more scientific evidence for non-drug approaches. But um, interestingly... What, what receives the highest level of evidence for tension headache is uh, is, is psycho behavioural therapies, uh, a type of therapy, for example, called EMG biofeedback or electromyography biofeedback. Uh, cognitive behavioural therapy comes in with sort of level C recommendation, along with uh, physical therapies including massage. Um, Spinal manipulation isn't mentioned and mobilisation isn't mentioned, but uh, acupuncture also comes in at about level C, uh, uh, level of evidence. With migraine prevention, drugs are working better, uh, for some people at least. Uh, Certainly drugs have the highest level of of evidence. We're talking about beta blocker drugs, antidepressant-based drugs. Uh, These drugs appear to be working well for migraine pain, but... Um, the research also shows that a lot of patients aren't staying with these drugs long term because of uh, side effects. So, you know, there's a sort of a, a bright and a dark side to the more effective drugs that are working for, for migraine. And this is um, interesting because the, one of the major reasons for why patients are seeking out chiropractors with migraine is because of their concerns about side effects. But, but other non-drug treatments that are doing quite well with evidence are certain HERBs. A herb, a herb called butterbur, uh, magnesium is helpful, uh, a herb called feverfew. So there may be some chiropractors that are interested or using these herbs. Uh, coenzyme Q10 comes in at level C, uh, level of evidence. So so there are some herbs that are, that are non-drug that are showing some promising benefits. But physical therapies, manual therapies are not even mentioned at all in migraine guidelines at this point in time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, just curious about the uh, you mentioned EMG biofeedback. Do you know um, is that like doing progressive relaxation type of biofeedback, like general muscular activation and then relaxation, or is it targeting neck muscles? Or
1: I I don't know a lot about it to be honest, Dean. Uh, and it's probably something I should explore a bit more. But uh, yeah, my understanding is that that muscle activity is being measured uh, under a machine and that the patient is guided through a, a certain process uh, by a, the, the psychologist or the, or the practitioner uh, so that they understand how to relax, progressively relax muscle groups uh, and, and that that can be monitored using using a machine to kind of assess uh, if they're understanding how to do this effectively.
0: Sure. Yeah. That, that's my understanding as well. Well, I, I'd like to, um, ask you about some of the other projects that you're working on. What, what's got you, uh, excited these days and what type of research are you into? Uh,
1: well, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a, a Carl fellow, the, the chiropractic Academy of, of research leadership. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to be one of the, the 13 early career chiropractors, uh, that are, that have been selected, um, to be uh, in the Carl Group, uh, and, and we're, we're meeting up again uh, in late April uh, in um, at the University of Alberta in Edmonton for our annual uh, one-week uh, research um, camp. So there will be some projects, I'm sure, that are that are going to unfold out of that uh, that engagement. But uh, that currently, I've, I've been working on some papers to do with physical activity um, and looking at. Uh, the role of chiropractors in the promotion of, of, of physical activity in their practice. So we're developing a study at the moment um, that is going to be rolled out that's going to look at how involved and engaged chiropractors are in promoting uh, better physical health uh, using a, a questionnaire that's been previously used by other professions. So that's a that's an exciting project uh, that I'm working on outside of my, my PhD at the moment. And also uh, we're, we're developing a paper, I'm developing a paper with some others that's looking at um, what the research priorities are of, uh, of Australian chiropractors within an Australian setting at this point in time. And uh, we're, we're looking to distribute a questionnaire uh, locally here to, to understand uh, the interest and, and priorities of Australian chiropractors. And we'll be comparing those to uh, the research priorities of Australian uh, chiropractic academics. So that's a that's a... A project that's also unfolding for me right
0: now terrific i i love uh i love all of that i particularly like the study that you're getting started on the physical activity within the practice i think that's just a fantastic thing and um and really hasn't been talked about much uh, at all in the profession but such an important way that we can help people
1: indeed i agree
0: so what I'd like to do is um, I, I always like to ask uh, chiropractors that come on the podcast uh, if they can offer advice to, uh, to other chiropractors and students uh, who may wish to become future leaders in research in the profession. Do you have any um, advice that you would give these practitioners or students who are considering a career in research?
1: Uh, well, if I think of myself as uh, as an example of my own path, um, it's never too late to move from private practice to a, to a research um, to to pursuing um, research academia. I'd been in practice for many years before I even began to develop this passion for for research, and uh, and I, I just it just began from from feeling passionate about my profession. And also being, feeling frustrated that I just didn't have the skills to explore the evidence-based literature on topics that I was, was deeply interested in. And so if you have that passion as a, as a practitioner or, or as a student, I would encourage you to consider exploring it. Talk to researchers. You know, just have a conversation. Uh, and, and I'm sure it, it will help practitioners or students to understand whether whether they want to take the second step. And often it begins with with being particularly passionate about a a particular condition, or it might begin with being particularly passionate about a patient group like pregnant mums or kids or whatever, uh, or the elderly. Um, But but often in the background, uh, there can be a, a sort of a gnawing interest for some chiropractors to say, I really wish we had more research in this area. And so if you've got that interest and if you've got that passion, I would just encourage... Uh, chiropractors to just start a conversation with researchers and just begin to explore that domain as a first step and just kind of see where that goes. And I I can certainly say for myself uh, that it's been a very exciting path for my life so far. Uh, You know, I've been just honoured to share time with some very exciting uh, leaders and researchers of the profession and uh, to be involved in publications and webinars and podcasts like this. It's been a very exciting and, and enriching path for me, and uh, and here I am talking to America's researcher of the year right now. I mean, how cool is that?
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Moore. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's it's fantastic to hear you talking uh, the about you know just the passion that you have uh, and getting into research. Uh, I'm curious because I've heard this a lot from other uh, researchers that have come on the podcast, Um, you've mentioned uh, that you've obviously been in practice for quite a while. How important do you think that was in your development uh, in terms of asking good research questions and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, I think it really adds a, a very important dimension. It certainly has for me to kind of really understand the challenges of of running a practice of being in frontline care you know the time constraints and all of the logistical challenges and then to be kind of thinking about how to to be fostering some kind of improvement in the care that i provide each year and and trying to just keep up with improving the care i'm providing each year for a whole range of conditions it it certainly when i'm when i'm doing research and i'm rolling out research that that engages Uh, chiropractors or engages chiropractors and their patients uh, you know i have a very strong sense of 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 the challenges that chiropractors face in wanting to get something done effectively and quickly and and efficiently so so i think having that practice experience for myself just just brings a, a greater awareness and appreciation for those challenges in designing research particularly
0: terrific i i know when i um go to conferences and whatnot, uh, many chiropractors ask, well, you know, uh, are you still in practice? And and if so, how do you do these sorts of things? Uh, so I'll put the question to you. Are you still in practice these days?
1: I am. I'm enrolled full-time in my PhD. I'm hoping that I'm in my last year. But I've always been practicing uh, three full days a week throughout my PhD and essentially giving three, three and a half days a week to my PhD as well. But I, I kind of really enjoy the you know i'm one day on with research one day on with practice and so each each day is is different to the one before and i really enjoy the, the contrast of, of the two and and sharing the two experiences over the last three years three and a half years
0: yeah i i couldn't agree more i i really look forward to the to the mixture actually and so it sounds like you do too <laughs> it kind of keeps in things interesting
1: it does, yeah. It's it's enjoyable. I mean, it's it's certainly a, a big week each week. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't like to think how many hours I'm, if I add the two together, but uh, now that I can see that, that light at the end of the tunnel, I'm a little bit excited. I'm in a bit of a gallop right now to kind of see myself through to the finish.
0: Very good. Well, uh, I know the chiropractic profession as a whole is looking forward to reading more of your research. Uh, perhaps I can have you back on after you uh, get some more of this stuff done.
1: Oh, it'd be a pleasure. Anytime.
0: Great. Well, thanks uh, so much, Dr. Moore for coming on the podcast. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot. I know other chiropractors are going to learn a lot from our, our discussion. And, uh, so thank you very much.
1: Pleasure, Dane. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thanks again for listening to chiropractic science. And this episode, we talked with Dr. Craig Moore and it was all about headaches. I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I attended the ACC Rack conference just a few days ago, and this was in Dallas, Texas. And it was a great conference, and I got to meet a lot of uh, uh, new people that I hadn't met before, interesting uh, people, and we had some great discussions. So shout out to everybody uh, that I met at the conference and I uh, just wanted to make special note of uh, two people that I met, uh, Dr. Hella Leap. Thanks for coming out from California and attending your first research conference. Uh, it was exciting to see you there. And I hope you got a lot out of that conference. And Dr. James Leonard, who uh, we spoke after the conference for a while, and he asked me, what is the deal with the bagpipes uh, in the podcast? um, well, I just like bagpipes. And so (laughs) I thought, why don't I put it in there? Because, uh, I'll do what I like on this podcast, I guess. (laughs) Anyways, I, I think I told him that, uh, I'm a chiropractor, so I guess I'm a little strange. Uh, I have a PhD in psychology. That makes me a little stranger, perhaps. And uh, and I love the bagpipe. So I'm all around, I guess, just a little bit of a an odd fellow. but uh, So I love all these things. That's why I put the podcast in there. So anyways, hope everybody has a fantastic day. Take care.